With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. E-S-N-Y. Jets All The Way podcast is back. How you doing, folks? I'm Jeff Magliacetti, alongside ESNY, that's short for Elite Sports New York, out for all you folks out there, alongside alongside ESNY editor-in-chief and founder Rob Sabo, talking all things New York Jets, and God knows we have plenty to discuss when it comes to Jetsland as they enter what's sure to be an interesting showdown on Sunday afternoon from, as Obi-Wan Kenobi once said, a certain point of view on Sunday afternoon against the New York Giants. Jeff here, Rob there. How you doing? How you doing tonight, Rob? Oh, pretty good, except for the depression that is New York sports. I mean, let's be honest. How bad has it been? And when in the any point of history has it been this bad? I really can't pinpoint a date right there. It's been pretty bad. You know things you know things are dreadful when the New York Islanders are the city's lone source of inspiration. I it's and when it comes to second place in that regard, it's maybe best case scenario. Maybe the New York Guardians, who haven't played, whose entire league technically does not exist yet over in the XFL. So a tough time indeed on the New York sports timeline. And we will get to, you know, one one eighth of that part of the timeline, maybe two eighths if we're being honest. So a quarter of that timeline. Well, as we talk about the New York Jets, who of course go into a matchup once again with the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. It's been a while since we've uh, spoken here on the uh, JATW podcast here, Rob, but so much has happened with the Jets since since uh, they're 1-7 and seven right now, uh, now in a last-place tie for the AFC East. Technically, they are in last place in the AFC East, heck, literally, because they lost to the Miami Dolphins on Sunday afternoon. Rob, who's to blame for most in this just awful turn of events? Mike McCagnon. Hmm. Um, honestly, ownership first because they didn't get rid of McCagnon right. uh, once the season ended. But it has to be Mike McCagnon. There's no question about it. Um, once once the season ended, you had to turn that page, had to bring in someone who knew what he was doing, who knew that an infrastructure was actually needed, an offensive line, a, defense, a you know four-man conventional rush. And instead, they, they went with the the – you know, the extra stuff, the Mosley's, the Bills. So number one ownership for not getting that done, the McCagnon, then obviously Adam Gase. Right, right. I get that 100%. I think it's interesting in the sense that, you know, Joe Douglas, in terms of a general manager hire, 
seems to be like the name you would go to. Seemed to be the best available name at the time. Had helped to mold the Philadelphia Eagles into the contenders and Super Bowl champions that they that they were earlier in earlier in this little stretch here. But what's interesting right now is that Adam Gase is not Joe Douglas's guy, and hence thus therefore does not have any connection to him, which would lead to the interesting scenario of bidding farewell to a coach after a single season. Now. This is, su- this is such an interesting case because I wrote about it earlier this week in the sense that, you know, a common, def- a common defense from Gase defenders out there, a common argument from Gase defenders out there, and believe it or not, they do exist on Twitter, is that, you know, uh, Sean, not Sean McVay, but, um, oh, uh, Kyle Shanahan needed two years to get things going in San Francisco. These situations cannot be more opposite because... You know, Gase, in a sense, was not a rookie head coach, and players on this roster right now have regressed under him, namely Sam Darnold. And I don't think you can find any holdovers from the 2018 roster, and they're dwindling because Joe Douglas has begun and has continued a purge of the Mike McKagan guys on this roster, with Leonard Williams, of course, being the latest casual casualty via the trade deadline. The Jets, of course, will see him this week as he's now a member of the Giants. So I think what's so interesting is that, and from a from a scary point of view, is that everyone, all the holdovers from 2018, have regressed in 2019 with no visible signs of progress. Would you agree, Rob? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. You know, I always tell people, and it makes me look like a gay apologist when right. I say the main problem is the personnel. The main problem is the decision-making, right? but it's true. I mean, it doesn't mean Gase isn't a problem. Of course he is. He deserves all the criticism in the world. But in terms of Kyle Shanahan, it's a completely contrasting situation. There's no question. Yeah, it's it's weird because, you know, Gase had his chances in Miami. And you look, look, I think you and I talked about it so many times going into the season that even with all the improvements the Jets made, at least on paper, even with all the, the improvements this team made, it was going to be difficult for this Jets team to make the playoffs because there were so many established contenders in the AFC as is, and even more of them emerged at once the season got underway. So making the playoffs was a gargantuan task. But this was going to be a year of development, a year where you could say, you know, eight and eight is an attainable is an attainable goal for this squad. But unfortunately, we know now that that hasn't come to pass. And when you're presented opportunities like the one you were presented on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins, a team, a team that squads from the deceased Alliance of American football would probably give a good game. You need to go in there and you need to take care of business. You cannot emerge against it. You cannot emerge from a match with a team like the Miami Dolphins with a loss. That is the type of loss that sets the rebuild completely off the rails and removes things further from a reality you want to see yourself at this. You want to see yourself from. And this is it's so troubling to see and something that the Jets had to fix immediately. Now they have new opportunities going forward. You and I you and I have discussed so many times the fact that, you know, they got the hard portion of the schedule out of the way with the two Patriot games, games against AFC potential AFC risers from Buffalo and Cleveland and then the NFC uh, playoff contenders from Dallas and Philadelphia. But now you have opportunities in the sense that not only are you facing subpar competition, 
starting with Sunday afternoon against the Giants because then you've got a road game against the Redskins. You have a game against the Raiders, which is going to be difficult, but then you got to play the Dolphins again at some point, and you also play the a Cincinnati Bengals team that is currently winless. And, you know, th- those three of those next four games, excepting the Raider game, so the three of the next four games are against the Giants, the Redskins, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Three, those three teams could well be starting a rookie quarterback and Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, and Ryan Finley, respectively. Finley, of course, being named the starter for the Bengals game this week. They're coming off their uh, buy induced by the London game against the Rams. Ryan Finley will be starting for the Bengals this week in place of Andy Dalton, who has had a stranglehold on the position since his arrival a few, uh, several years back. So you have major opportunities there. We have no confirmation if Haskins or Finley is going to be start, starting by the time the Jets get to them because, of course, Haskins' situation has been so roller coastery over in Washington. Who knows how effective Finley is going to be and if the Bengals will say enough and go back to Dalton. But, you know, this is an interesting situation in the sense that the Jets have their opportunities now to get back on track, to get a win, because there's no better antidote for what's been such a toxic season so far in both Florham Park and East Rutherford than to get a win. And I think the Jets obviously understand that, and they want to get that. You can't worry about your draft positioning right now. You need a win. Opportunities are there. Will the Jets take it? Who knows? Yeah, I mean... Tanking mode. Everyone wants to see tanking mode. There are platforms in this world with the internet that are 100% dedicated to tanking. Tankathon. It's the NBA style. Folks, this is the NFL. There's only 16 games, Mm -hmm. and each week is so huge based on livelihoods Mm -hmm. and development that you can never take a week off. And that's that's one of the criticisms of Gase. It seems like when things don't go his way sometimes, he throws his hands up in the air and, and gives up. It, it appears that way. Um, for instance, there was a drive. I just broke down some film. Right. There's a drive uh, where they got a third and four right. on a split zone to Le'Veon Bell. Right. Wasn't blocked. Through. Three plays later, third and four again. Mm-hmm. The same exact play call, but this the box was loaded. There were seven guys in the box instead of six. Why is he not trusting Darnold to do check with me's to, to run stuff at the line? Why is he not doing it? We saw a little bit of that in Dallas, but we're not seeing it against Dallas. Excuse me. Right. But we're not, we haven't seen it since then. And it's very frustrating. Can he not do it? Or do they not just trust him? Are they trying to keep it simple? In, in this league, you have to, you'll, your offense will never flourish unless you allow your quarterback to have, unless you trust your quarterback to have that freedom at the line. And this is what's interesting to me about Sam Darnold right now because I don't think anyone in the world can deny that, you know, Darnold can't do it himself. They can't deny that Darnold still has a potential. Like no one in their right mind is labeling labeling him a bust at this point. And no one can also deny that he desperately needs some help right bet right now. But he des but it is it's not out of the realm of uh, reason to say that Darnold is part of the Jets' problems right now. I think I think you could agree with that, right? He is at least part of this one semester. You could agree with that, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. And yeah. when it when it goes this bad, there's no one person ever, right. you know. And that's for all the gay bashers out there. That's where they have it wrong. You, no. You're not going to suddenly be great if you replace the head coach. It's just not going to happen. And once again, you're not going to be suddenly great 
if you just simply insert a quarterback in there. And what I think is interesting is that a hypothetical scenario that I've been pondering, and I actually plan on writing about it, a hypothetical scenario is what would Josh McCown do in this situation? Not, not necessarily like insert Josh McCown into an NFL game right here. I just think it's interesting that Darnold now has been called upon to be the top name in the quarterback room, and he's struggling like this because I think that Josh, if Josh McCown would here, were here, Darnold could have avoided some of the situations that he's found himself in in this season. Like the whole ghost thing, McCown could have told him how to solve those ghosts. And by the way, the ghost thing, that was blown completely out of proportion. The fault should reside mostly on ESPN, in my opinion, for e- or NFL Films, for that matter, for even letting that comment get to air. So that, that, that situation just produced a ton of naivety right there. So there was that. But McCown could also help Darnold be, you know, he, he could maintain a calming presence in the locker room, mentor him through what's sure to be what's, sure, what's easily the toughest stretch of his NFL career thus far. It's definitely put his career in a bit of a crossroads. And, you know, when you need to have a respected, you know, a legion of trusted names that can help you out of a rut like this. And McCown was by far the biggest name that Darnold trusted right there. Now. Obviously, you know, you can't really fault McCown for doing what he did in terms of this offseason. You know, he wanted to retire to be closer to his family and then soon and then came back to the league in Philadelphia and joined them on the condition that he would be allowed to abscond to Myers Park High School in Charlotte on Friday nights to, you know, help his high school team play, where his two sons currently play. It's not his high school, his two sons currently play there, and he was serving as a coach. Now this the the Darnold and McCown situation, and not to mention Darnold also had. Let's keep in mind his debut season also had Teddy Bridgewater in the Jets' quarterback room, so he had two calming veteran presences to help him out in times of need, in times of struggle. And when Darnold had that nice stretch at the end of the season last year, that three-game stretch in December where he threw for about you know over 700 yards, had that come from by from come from behind win against Buffalo, through six touchdowns, one interception, good for a passer rating of 106.2, I believe. He credited uh, just watching Josh McCown during practice and credited him for, you know, watching him during practice, during game situations, for being able to come back from an injury situation. Remember, he missed those three games from last season with an injury to come back and to come back and, you know, produce the best numbers of his infantile career, he credited Josh McCown for that. So I'm very interested to see what the situation would have been if Josh McCown weren't tow. Because right now, Sam Darnold has to be the top dog in the Jets in the Jets quarterback room right now. The Jets had good intentions when, you know, they signed Trevor Seamian because he seemed to be the perfect combination of, you know, just enough talent and had the experience to be the starter if disaster struck. Of course, this being the 2019 New York Jets, disaster struck several times this season, and the seeming case kind of went out the window a little bit, and now David Fales is the backup quarterback. So David Fales cannot provide Sam Darnold in a way with the uh, you know mentorship and experience that Sam Darnold became accustomed to under Josh McCown. So of all the names that have you know come and gone from the Jets over the past calendar year, I think McCown is the one they're missing They're missing most. And, yeah, sure, that might sound a little hot takey, but I'm, I'm eager to hear what you think, Rob. 
No, it, it definitely holds relevancy um, and holds water. I mean, you, you really can't get on the front office for this one. They did go out and get Simeon. Uh, but where is Gase? Gase is supposed this is the first offensive coach since uh, when? Coslet? Kotite. If that. Oh, first offensive coach they've brought in since Kotite, I believe. I mean, where is this guy? Where is this guy? When you watch it on Sunday, the, the optics are terrible when you watch on Sunday because, you know, he's a head coach, so he's got he's to be in the game, you know, 24-7. But there are no meet. There are very rarely any meetings, any meetings of the mind, any, you know, except for the, the mic. Uh, what was that? What, what did Gase tell him on the, on the mic on that night? He tried to focus him in before the end of the first half. Yes. But it's just... I don't know. As if you're a fan out there, you gotta you gotta be wondering where is this guy? Where is his influence? And we just don't see it. It's just it's it's tiring, to be honest. It really is. It really is. And you know, to have Gase, you know, he showed visible frustration in his uh, post game press conference on Sunday. And you know, y- you have to start thinking like, where is the offensive guru the Jets were supposedly promised coming out? And, you know, this is a chance for him now to prove he deserves to be around for the long term, especially to a general manager that did not hire him. And I think the best way to do that, he has to start showing fire out there. He needs to you know, get Darnold back into shape a little bit and prove that he was brought here for a reason. And you're so right about, you know, the Jets, uh, you know, trying to switch to an offensive mindset, which I think is so important in today's NFL, which worships a deity known as fantasy football. You know, the things like the Red Zone Channel, <coughs> excuse me, exist for a reason because people love offense in this league. Half the new rules tailored in this league are are work toward an offensive perspective. You know, it seems like, you know, a roughing the pat the quarterback gets 15 yards every time a defender breathes on him. The oh, the whole replay review call which has which has not gone to plan at all, I think needs to be abolished immediately in uh reviewing pass interference was brought upon by a missed quote-unquote attack on an offensive player. And you look at the Jets, you look at their first-round history, the last time they drafted an offensive player in the first round was Mark Sanchez back in 2009, prior to, Darn- prior to the Darnold selection, of course. And the last time before that but was, Show- was uh, Dustin Keller in 2008. And this is just so interesting to see because the Jets need to start – gearing themselves toward an offensive mindset and it's slowly becoming clear almost that the offensive that the supposed offensive guru Adam Gase isn't the guy. Yeah, and it's it's something interesting you brought up. Douglas didn't hire Gase, right? Yeah, he did not. Well, guess what? It doesn't what? even matter because it starts at the top and their hierarchy isn't one in which the GM hires the head coach. They're on the same playing field. Yes. They both report to the owner. So we don't even know who's in charge. Is Gase truly the, the man in charge? He's the one that won a power struggle over McCagnan. That's where it starts. And if they could solve that and, and really – we know Douglas has final say over personnel. At least that's in, in the contract. Yeah. Whether it plays out that way, we'll find out. It starts there. And until they clean that up and appoint one man, Douglas, full control over everything mm-hmm. – uh, it's tough. It's tough to even discuss the offensive stuff. Um, but you're right. The, the offensive mindset, it, it'll never get all, it'll never get going unless they draft offensive linemen. 2006, the last time they drafted a first-round offensive lineman. It's a football sin of the highest order. 
and I, all the other topics become secondary. It's just, you know, what do you do? What, what can you do? You wait till the spring and do the right thing. I almost understand the reluctance to not draft an offensive lineman in the first round because, you know, it's not the flashy pick or anything. Like, you never see fans going crazy over drafting a lineman with the first round pick because offensive lineman, personally, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated positions in all of professional sports because it's a position that offers almost no glory. The only time you're getting in the box score, for example, is at best you recover a fumble in the end zone for a, tu- for a touchdown or get lucky on a tackle eligible play. These are not the type of uh, acquisitions, the type of, the type of additions that sell tickets or anything. How many kids, you know, are walk were walking around in a DeBrickshaw Ferguson jersey? Because he is no doubt one of the better Jets in the new century, and one of the best Jets in the new century, as a matter of fact. And you know, maybe he gained a following after several years here. But you know, everyone was like, "Why didn't you draft?" I think I think it was uh, God. Who was it? Matt Liner. Everyone wanted at that time, right? Yeah, it was a loaded class. It was the Bush, Liner, Vince Young class. And you know, I, I had to hear Joe Benigno saying you wanted Vince Young. And yeah. I'm like, Joe, come on, man. The sucker franchises are the ones that win the offseason, that yep. win the flashiness, that win the headlines. The, 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 the ones, yeah, the ones that don't win the headlines and go about their business and build it the right way from the from in out mm-hmm. are the ones that win. Yeah. And that's that's why during the spring I was so I was telling everyone to be cautious. Be aware, be aware of the hype. The New Jersey's, Bell, Mosley. Come on. you got to draft offensive linemen. They, it's outrageous already. It's enough. Three, four years now. It, can't take it. Can't do it. Can't do it. And you're still depending on names back there. And, you know, it was interesting to see on Sunday where after that bad snap in the back of the end zone that gave the Dolphins both the ball and and the two points. Uh, you know, Darnold seemed to be in somewhat of a heated discussion with his offensive lineman, Jonathan Harrison and Brian Winters. So this whole thing, it all stems from, you know, not building a wall in front of Darnold. Because the great quarterbacks in history often have a great offensive lineman attached to, attached to him. Peyton Manning, for example, had Jeff Saturday. Troy Aikman, he had Larry Allen. Kalecchio Semele could have been that guy for the Jets, but... That's an entirely di- that's an entirely different discussion. That was just poorly mishandled. That was just poorly handled right there by the from the Jets' perspective. So, and that- and that's what the Jets get when they rely on one acquisition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Beecham should ha- should have been cut. They would have saved money. Winters is not the answer. They needed to flip at least three offensive linemen. Yeah. This off season. And now and replacing one. Yeah. Go ahead. And oh yeah, I'm saying now they're trying to do this in season with spare parts they're putting chuma idaga out there out there for example they're trying they're trying to plug holes with that they're trying to plug in alex lewis out there and you can't do that if you want to be successful as an NFL. because douglas is throwing hands Hail marys yeah took he inherited the team and he realizes this offensive line is going to get my quarterback killed it's terrible so i'm going to throw Hail marys and hope hopefully something sticks I credit him for what he tried to do. He tried to, you know, fix that issue, albeit when it was far too late, when all the resources were, you know, expended. Everyone had made all the great, all the best offensive linemen free agents had been taken, and Mike McCagnan had watched them gone by to little or no avail with little reaction from the front office. And 
I give Douglas credit. He tried to rectify that issue, trading a draft pick to the Ravens and picking up Alex Lewis, convincing Ryan Khalil to come out of retirement. But we quickly found out that he kind of retired for retired for a reason back there because that experiment has not worked out. For a second straight year, the Jets have had a center that has not worked out with Sam Darnold. So, And here's the thing. How can anyone blame Douglas for Khalil? Harrison's not the answer either, folks. No, not at all. So it's not like he sat down a good player. He took a calculated, smart risk Mm -hmm. and, you know, didn't work. Douglas did what he could, basically. He basically, he's like, like you said, he threw Hail Marys. And at first glance, some of them might have been completions in a way. Everyone was loving the, the, the fact that they brought in Khalil, who is this all-pro accoladed player out there. And, you know, the experiment simply has not worked out. Beggars can't be choosers in a way. And Douglas tried his best to go out there and choose. But he was done in by mistakes of the prior regime mistakes that will end that could end up costing them the closest thing they've had to a franchise quarterback in a long long time so I'm yeah and we are this is this episode slowly turning into where they went wrong which is good because fans need to know where they went wrong what they needed to do was trade down get yes. out of the number three pick acquire assets draft two linemen in the top three rounds get an edge rusher because it's another thing Quinn and Williams I don't care how good he becomes. You handicap him when you put him on a defense without edge rushers. Yeah. You handicap Jamal Adams. You got to complete the unit first. And that's what this that's what the previous regime just didn't understand. They were incompetent. They didn't know how to build a football team. Like you look at the you look at the linemen that the Jets passed on in this draft. Like and, and this is this is a standpoint that the, the fact that like nobody likes to draft linemen, this is a standpoint no better illustrated than the fact that the first lineman, Jonah Williams, a tackle out of Alabama, went 11th to the Cincinnati Bengals. But the Jets passed on some decent names here. Like, for example, you could have traded down and picked Garrett Bradbury, the center out of North Carolina State. Guy won a Dave Remington trophy last year, awarded annually to the uh, you know, best lineman, the best center in college football. Got Guy came out of North Carolina State, won it, and he's working well for the Vikings so far, as far as I can see. Uh, back in 22-23, the Eagles and Texans took Andre Dillard and Titus Howard back-to-back, both tackles. So I just can't believe the Jets didn't think about this and started to build an offensive line. But not only does it hurt Darnold, it's hurting Le'Veon Bell as well. And I do have to give Le'Veon Bell a ton of credit because he has been, you know— the steadfast, uh, you know, face of this franchise in a way, in that you know he he was you know rumored to go during the trade deadline, and he came out on Twitter and made that nice video and everything. Said like, I'm here to stay. I know it's going to take some time. It's going to be patient, but I'm here to stay, and I'm interested to play out my career in New York. So I give him credit there. But that in that is the 2019 Jets' original sin. They passed on some big names at the in the blocking positions, some literally big names back there. And now they're paying the ultimate consequences and questions are being asked about the long-term future of this franchise. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell, you, you can't give him enough credit. I mean, what he's done off the field, the way he's acted. Having said that, I can't even tell you how much hate I received for pleading the Jets not to sign Bell in the spring. Mm. And it has nothing to do with Bell. It's not personal. No. That's what that's what fans fail to fail to see. It's not personal. The Jets weren't ready for a superstar running back. That is a roster completion move, a like, final piece move. Oh, There's like, no point in drafting 
in right. adding a superstar running back when you have no offensive line. There's no point. Like a team that is quote-unquote one move away would do something like that, right? Is that like one move away Correct. from Super Bowl contending? Like I'm trying to think of a squad that would even be in that position. Uh, like, for example, uh, let's the say – Say the Chiefs last year, you know, oh. needed a running back. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair. The, chi- uh, the Chiefs. Uh. Maybe even. Uh. Uh. Oh. Here. Maybe even like. <clears throat> excuse me. Maybe even like the Houston Texans in a way, because yeah, you have uh, Carlos Hyde and you have um. Oh God. Duke Johnson. Duke yeah, Johnson. Duke Johnson. But then again, if you could get a name brand talent like Le'Veon Bell in there, and he's working alongside Deshaun Watson. That offense would be unstoppable. I get that, 100%. But the Jets, anything but one move away. And now, and good for them. They're bringing in, and they're uh, and they have like a superstar to build around in a way type of thing. Darnold and Bell, that's a fine battery to work with, but he has no blocking, and in doing so, you ignored the other needs you desperately had. It's like I wrote about this back when I was writing about the New York Giants. I wrote about the Giants in 2017 where they, too, were in a similar situation. They had a chance to pick up Andrew Whitworth, who was um, transitioning from the Bengals to the Los Angeles Rams. Or, might have been the No, yeah, that was it. Um, he was going from the Bengals to the Rams, and the Giants passed on him. And instead of picking up any notable offensive linemen, they went for the flashy options. They opted to sign Brandon Marshall. They opted to re-sign Jason Pierre-Paul. In the draft, they picked up a tight end, and at the time the closest thing they had had to an Eli Manning successor in Davis Webb with the third round. When they passed on Ramzik. Exactly. Exactly. They passed on, they passed on Whitworth. They passed on Ramzik. They passed on Garrett balls. That might've been a better move for the long term. but still the thing, the thing was what I, what I called it, they bought themselves a Ferrari while ignoring the mold damage in the basement because that was a big problem, and they didn't, they didn't pick up anyone in the draft. They mostly opted for uh, undrafted free agents when it came to the linemen, and they did the same thing the year before in the prior draft because they picked Eli Apple in the first round and didn't pick any linemen until the sixth round and were forced to go with guys in 2017. They were forced to go with names like you know Bobby Hart and Eric Flowers on the offensive line. They didn't prepare to protect their most valuable asset, the quarterback, in a way. And, as and trace forward. the good teams. Trace the good teams. They always draft more linemen Every than the time. bad teams. And Whitworth, look at Gurley's stats the year before they acquired Whitworth. His yards per carry were 3.3, something along those lines. 2.9. What was it? It was 2.9 yards a carry. 2.9. They acquire Whitworth, and he explodes yep. for that huge season. Yep. It, it's not a coincidence, folks. When Jerry Reese came out that uh, that offseason, not offseason, excuse me, when he came, oh, it was a it was a 3.2 average, excuse me, sorry about that. So 3.2. But um, when Jerry Reese came out midseason and said we didn't have a place for Andrew Whitworth, we didn't think he fit in with this organization, that's when, that is undoubtedly when Jerry Reese's tenure as general manager of the Giants ended. Because to come out and say something like that, to ignore your blocking problem, yeah, I get it. It's not the flashiest position, but it's so necessary to contend. The three most undervalued positions in all of sports probably come from a football pers- perspective. Backup quarterback, punter, and offensive line. Because all three of those positions are so valuable to the game. I will get into the other two just now, but offensive line is just so 
important because again, it's the all guts, all all guts, all brawn, no glory section of football. The only time you know who the offensive linemen are is when they're pointed out for a holding penalty or whatnot. That's when, or a false start even. That's when you know who they are. And but it's such a vital part of this game. Funny sport this football is, don't you think, Rob? Yeah, and another familiar face, Kareem McKenzie. Yeah, when he switched from green to blue. That solidified the Giants' offensive line. They, yeah. They drafted Coughlin's son-in-law, Snee, and away they went with a tremendous offensive line to two championships. Yep. Yep. And that's what, that's what happened. It was the offensive line. No, uh, again, no glory, all guts, all brawn. It's something the Jets desperately need to work on this offseason. Look at the Colts. Yeah. They lose Andrew Luck. They're still a stud team. They're still good. Yes, and that is one of the reasons I didn't panic as much when Jacoby Brissett took over as star. First of all, he improved leaps and bounds from that time two years ago. But that is what caused Andrew Luck into an early retirement indirectly. The Colts management refused to upgrade that offensive line until now. And now they have a decent team and have gone with little to no with, – with such a big transition, little to no firepower has been lost. I think the Colts would be 5-3 and three with luck, and they're 5-3 and three now without luck. So that is – the moral of the story is build in front of your quarterback no matter who he is. That's it. You, you, they, you, don't, you don't need high-priced guys in the backfield. Oh. You draft them. You draft mid-round guys, and that's how you allocate the salary cap. It is just the way it goes. The way the way it goes, and hopefully the way it is when it comes to the future of the New York Jets. That will do it here for the Jets All the Way podcast, and we will be back next week analyzing the loss, the uh, loss, the win against the New York Giants, depending on what happens. And I think this is such a crucial stretch for the Jets moving forward again because I want them to not worry about draft position, Rob. You know, I think I just think a win would do so much for this organization, so much for this franchise in a way. And if you get this win on Sunday in a way, I think it would make just a bit of a cool story to say, where were you the day the Jets started to turn this thing around when they beat the Giants? And I know you wrote earlier this week on ESNY that, um, you know, you call this the good grief bowl, which <laughs> I pick out of. That was great. But I have to disagree in the sense that um, – this game is almost meaningless in a way because it would be such a morale boost from either side. Even if they won't publicly admit, admit it, I think it would be such a morale boost for other side in the sense that this, that this can plant the seeds into something bigger. Yeah, no, there's no question this could turn around. This could mark the first um, turnaround point could, right. could very small chance, but I just don't see it happening until they actually put something at least average in front of Darnold. He is so out of whack right now. Right. Check out YouTube. Check out the last film room I did. He is so messed up. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what. The, and they're missing every linebacker. They're they're. I think they're starting Brandon. Starting practice on Tuesday or on Wednesday. Yesterday, I think Brandon Copeland is their Mike linebacker now. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, which is unbelievably bad. So if they still had at least their linebackers, I might have taken the Jets in this game. But I'm taking the Giants. There's no question about it. Who do you got? I think at this point I have the Jets right now in the sense that, you know, they need this win more. I think this is the closest thing the Giants games 
the Giants will come to a quote-unquote trap game, if only because they have more wins right now. So I think I'm going to take the Jets at this point. Interested to see what happens moving forward. But I will go with the Jets, if only because they're more desperate. And as Bob Dylan once said, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. That'll do it for he- us here on the Jets All The Way podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at JeffMags5490. You can follow him, Rob Sabo, on Twitter at Robbie Sabo. All one word right there, capitalize the R and the S. I'm Jeff Magliacetti. He's Robbie Sabo. Thanks for listening, folks. Yeah.